1: Hello, and welcome to the Osher Gensburg Podcast. I'm Osher Gensberg. Thank you so very much for being here. This is episode 133 of the show with Julie Stevania. You can find her on Twitter at J-U-L-I-E-S-T-E-V-A-N-J-A on Twitter. She is the co-founder and CEO of Stylerunner.com. Yes, the magnificent, humongous fashion website. Stylerunner. I'm just going to fire... Phonerunner.com. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. There it is. There she is. Amazing. Amazing what they've done. It's Sorry, I just had another look at the website. It's, it's nuts. Because if you didn't get enough of last week's superpower businesswoman, Jane Liu, here's another one for you. Same outcome. Well, similar outcome. Different story. It is pretty, pretty excellent. Got a lot of great... Um, Feedback about Jane's episode, super inspiring story of hers. Well, Julie's is just as inspiring. So if uh, you heard last week and thought, oh, man, I've got this idea or I should really go for it, you're going to listen to this week's and go, man, I really got to go for it this time because, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to inspire you to act. I want to inspire you to make the world you live in a better place. This episode is brought to you by the very good people who listen to this show that subscribed to Patreon and they uh, have committed to pledge an amount every single month to make this show a possibility because, frankly, without you, I could not make this show for as little as five bucks a month of a pledge. You can uh, have access to exclusive episodes that I make uh, about every three or four weeks. Um, there's been a couple already, and you're supporting the show. You're helping me able to make the show because I would not be able to do it. There's been a few people that have pledged enormous amounts. I've been in touch with them. I'm very happy you say that we're going to make our Skype calls that are part of the reward very, very soon. But again, there is no obligation to contribute. This podcast will always be free. The latest episodes will always be free, but your contributions make this show a possibility to continue. Thanks very much again to Andy Ma, my producer, that cuts this show together. So to check in, I spent a couple of days up in Brisbane with my family, which was uh, which was really, really good. My family, family, and my work family, which is really nice to see the team at Hit 105 again. So great to be back up there. Thanks to everybody that is supporting the radio show. Wow. You are really, really wonderful. We're tracking pretty well up there. Every new listener counts. So thank you so much for helping us do something different in Breakfast Radio in Australia. All we're trying to do is uh, bring a little bit of laughter, uh, some intelligent conversation, and the odd dick joke to your morning. Um, It looks like it's working, which is nice. Had a cracking time at the Logies. Uh, It was nice to be sitting on a table with the two shows I was nominated with. I was uh, sitting between the beautiful Sam Frost, the gorgeous Sasha, And on the other side, I had um, Snajana and the other Sam, Sam, Bachelor Sam. So I had them on one side, and I had the uh, lifeguards from Bondi Rescue on the other side. I had Hoppo, Harry's, and Maxi on the other side. And uh, it was really, really nice to sit there at a table with my two executive producers, my two teams of cast. It was great, but it was a very big shame to lose to the block. Got to say that it kind of sucked, especially after the ratings that MasterChef and My Kitchen Rules got last year. Um, But anyway... I don't know quite how the voting works, but, uh, but there you go. Let me tell you about my guest today. My guest today is Julie Stevania. She is the co-founder and CEO of Stylerunner.com. Her story is absolutely inspirational. In particular, what I love about her tale is not only the grit that it took to keep going, but her ability to see, to identify, and dive through a gap in the market. Not only that, But the best part about this story is how much she knew the value of and the power of her personal network. So much so that she relocated from London back to Australia to build the business. You'd think in a fashion capital like London, she would stay there. But no, she moved and relocated and did everything back in Australia using that network, leveraging that network of people that she knew. And now she's running an internationally massive retail operation from an office in Alexandria in Sydney. I talked to her just after she got back from Dubai where she was awarded an extraordinarily wonderful prize by her industry. Um, Yeah, it's, it's fantastic to see that, certainly for someone who's moved back from overseas like myself, that the ability to build an internationally massive brand and company from Australia is most definitely a possibility more and more as every year goes by. There was a time when you wouldn't be able to build that sort of thing. If you stayed here, you had to go away. And now she gets to stay, be near her family, be near near the people that she loves, be near the people that helped bring her up. And those people help her make what she makes. And it's pretty great. A quick word about preparation for whatever job you do. You know me. I always prepare. I subscribe to the six Ps. Prior preparation prevents piss-poor performance. However... On the day that I recorded this, I rolled into the interview and realized with horror that I had forgotten to put the SD card back into my recorder. I'd left it in my computer back at home. So I freaked out. (laughs) I lost 15 minutes of interview time. She's a busy CEO. I had one hour with her uh i lost 15 minutes of any of your time because i had to thankfully run across the street to i'm in an industrial area right but across the street is this big uh, photographic photographic studio called sun studios it's where we shot um uh what was that fantastic abc show that I did photo finish so we shot photo finish but it's a big fancy studio with lots and lots of different studios and a massive big hire section and a huge photography uh, shop there so i ran in there And I grabbed myself an SD card and I ran back and I'm covered in sweat doing the show. So I apologize that the length of the show is a little shorter than normal. Uh, But don't worry, it's all worth it. And I now have my spare SD card back in my podcast kit. And another news, every show I take a portrait of my guest as the uh, the cover art of each show will show you. It is uh, a portrait that I shoot on a vintage Polaroid camera, a Polaroid 110A that I had built for me. The film that goes into that camera is made by Fuji. And uh, last week, Fuji, or about a month ago, actually, Fuji announced they are no longer going to make that film. And uh, fair enough, I was very, very, very sad. Straight to eBay, and uh, packs of film that used to cost $12 US were now $35. US So what the hell am I going to do? Because without this film, I can't use about seven of my cameras. Thankfully, there's a few companies that are going to be starting to make this peel-apart film again but it's going to take him a little while to get off the ground. And thankfully again, uh, my younger brother lives in Shanghai and I sent him down to his local photo shop, photo store that is. And uh, let's just say I have purchased an exorbitant amount of this film to keep me making beautiful podcast portraits for many episodes to come. Just don't tell Audrey how many packs I bought. I would have bought them anyway, okay? But I just bought them now. All right? Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it really moved me. It really inspired me. I hope it does the same with you. How are you?
0: Good. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm okay. I'm so sorry about that. No, not at all. <laughs> all Just, good. I got here and I, uh, I, I'm setting everything up and I realized I've forgotten my SD card.
0: Serious <laughs> <laughs> ways of the universe. Someone professional. Give me Okay, okay. <laughs> it's never happened before,
1: right? It hasn't, actually. 135 <laughs> episodes and I've never forgotten an SD cards. So 135
0: episodes. Well, there you go. what I'd like to you on. Nob- you exciting. would have been number
1: one if I knew you back then. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the right, <laughs> the right question? Um, for folks who, t- who don't know uh, Sydney very well, can you tell us where we are?
0: We are in Alexandria, which is, uh, I guess, sort of a light industrial suburb in Sydney, kind of a few Ks away from the airport. Um, there's a lot of great creative and fashion companies around here now, so it's a pretty cool, vibey suburb.
1: Yeah, a swiftly gentrifying yes. area. There's most, definitely, um, there's most definitely a lot of, uh, you know, places that used to be just gigantic, sprawling uh, soft drink factories, yeah. which are now becoming the sites of multi-million dollar residential developments.
0: Yes, absolutely. Huge shift to residential. Though we are right in the middle of an industrial park, so it's still, you know, it's still a bit of both. <laughs> I mean, looking out the window and it's definitely, you know, kind of warehouses and pallets and trucks. Um, so it's probably not where people would expect really to be. really good coffee. Very good coffee. See, this is the benefit. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Everyone rails about gentrification, but there's good coffee. Good
0: coffee comes with it.
1: Yeah. But. Forearm tattooed hipsters. <laughs> and good coffee.
0: Lots of good coffee. Need the good coffee.
1: You've just uh, you've just been in Dubai. What was that like?
0: Uh, Dubai was amazing. Yeah. I've been a couple of times before, but this was obviously a very very special trip for us. Yeah. Um. So we went to the World Retail Congress, which is a kind of annual conference, and they hold it in a different different city every year. Yeah. Um. And we were there with the hopes um, of maybe bringing home an award from the World Retail Awards, which was held on the final night. Yeah. Yeah. And go? <laughs> we got it. <laughs> really, you know, c- couldn't believe it. Uh, so we went to this beautiful black tie gala a night um, where we were finalists for one of the categories. Um, and yes, name got called out and we won the, won I've the award. Never,
1: I've never been to Dubai. What's it like?
0: Uh, it's pretty incredible. It's like, you know, absolutely OTT, um, yeah. lots of wealth huge, you know, construction, everything is on a big scale. The yeah. malls are outrageously large and flashy. Um, the hotels are just, you know, kind of, I think it's the only destination in the world that has a seven-star hotel. So, you know, it's all about luxury. And what do
1: you do with the other two stars? I
0: don't know. I don't know. I didn't even, I didn't stay there, unfortunately. What does unfortunately. it
1: mean? <laughs> what, some, you get a, everybody gets a butler?
0: Well, probably, yeah, I bet you they do. And a yeah. foot rub probably, if you want one.
1: There's no room service, Benny. You just pick up the phone.
0: Yeah, and it's right outside your door. I want some salt and pepper Vending machine of caviar. Mm,
1: (laughs) Not for me. Who are you up against?
0: Um, Well, there was – they weren't all fashion categories. There was one that was a lingerie brand. Um, There was one which was a food delivery company in India. So if you think of our kind of HelloFresh, think of that. But in India, they were a really tough competition. Um, And, yeah, a couple of other sort of – retailers from unusual parts of the world. And how did
1: it feel to get that kind of recognition from a global perspective?
0: Still can't really believe it. It's (laughs) really, you know, a very big milestone for us. You know, here we are in this little industrial park in Sydney and um, we, yeah, are sort of being recognised in front of, you know, not just at a global level, but in a room full of some of the most incredible retailers in the world. I mean, we're talking about, you know, there was the, the chairman of, you know, LVMH Investments and, you know, there was Nordstrom's and um, John Lewis is in the room and, you know, um, Solomon Liu from Australia. And so,
1: John, just so people know, John Lewis is a massive, it's like the David Jones or Myers yeah. of the UK and Nordstrom yeah. is the same for the US. That's right. That and Macy's. And yeah. yeah.
0: And so, you know, the, the head of, not Macy's, but the company that owns Macy's and it owns like 15 other department stores, wow. you know, so we're talking about the biggest people in retail in this room. And, uh, They're yeah. They're in the seven Star. They probably were in the Seventh Star <laughs> Hotel.
1: <laughs> or better yet, they're in the yacht parked offshore and they chop her in and out.
0: Highly likely, highly likely. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's it when you're at a whole other level. When you're at, no, 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 I'll just stay on the yacht. Yeah. When you're at, that, <laughs> at that level. Helicopter in. Oh, I don't know if I could ever do that though. Yeah. Oh, I could ever mm. do that. Are we, from, are we far from where you grew up?
0: Uh, well, I grew up in Adelaide, so a little bit
1: far, yes. Mm, I did too. Um,
0: oh, did you? Yeah,
1: yeah, when I first came to Australia, yeah. Oh,
0: there you go. Yeah, what part? Um, northern suburbs, so I come, uh, a suburb called Paraford Gardens. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know it. Yeah. Bit up north, yeah. you know.
1: I used to work at SAFM too, so.
0: Oh, there you yeah, go, became yeah. became quite
1: familiar. <laughs> what do you remember about Adelaide as a kid?
0: Um, dry heat, which I love yeah. and I miss. Um, 42 degrees on Christmas Day. Yeah, going to the beach was great as a kid. It was a bit of a trek. We didn't live too close to the beach, but it was always, you know, um, pretty special family time. Um,
1: Which, are you a West Beach, Henley? Yeah, Henley's great.
0: Yeah, love Henley Beach. Um, What else do I remember? Mum and Dad worked pretty hard. They worked in, you know, kind of... Uh, you know, as, as laborers and truck drivers and, you know, working in factories and things like that. So they worked pretty hard and they always encouraged me to, you know, do well at school. So that's pretty much my memory was just going to school, having to study, being told to study harder.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so what dad comes home, he's got rough hands and... Pretty falls much. Falls asleep at six, that yeah, sort of
0: thing. Yeah, pretty much. And then mum gets up and does night shifts. So she literally would work from 10.30 at night all the way through the evening, come home just in time to get us ready for school, make our breakfast, make our lunch, make our beds. <laughs> she did everything and then got us up to school, had her nap, picked us up, made dinner. <laughs> wow. How many kids? So, uh, well, I've got a twin sister and two older sisters. So there's four of us. So poor dad was a soccer coach and he had four girls. <laughs> but he's well looked after now, you know, yeah. so yeah. And he's also got two grandsons, so it's finally he's able to bring out that coaching side. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, as a growing up in, uh, in Adelaide, I just remember it being, it was all I ever knew, I guess, mm. but it was just so quiet. Yeah. Just so quiet. Yeah. And then when I moved back there at 24 to go to SAFM, yeah, yeah I, I think the thing that struck me the most about that was there was no street signs. Really? because everybody knew that that was um, Glen Unley Road. Yeah. Because it's always been Glen Unley Road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so why would we need to put a sign on it?
0: Yeah, I guess there's, <laughs> there's not street signs on every corner, that's for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it was certainly pretty, very interesting. So uh, what's it like to have a twin?
0: Um, well, I guess it's probably different for a lot of twins, but in my case, we're very, very different. So we're absolutely chalk and cheese. So um, I think it's it's quite tough in that sense because we are always so compared to each other. I was always quite academic, loved studying, you know, really cared about that. Sally was amazing at gymnastics and was really, um, you know, quite, you know, good at extracurricular activity like gymnastics or dance or that sort of thing. So um, she always got kind of, uh, you know, sort of pressured with the school side of things. Why well, aren't you doing better at school? And I was always kind of, asked like why don't I want to come and join gymnastics so you kind of always compared to the other person's strength and expected to have both yeah Um, I don't think that maybe happens as much when you have just a sibling instead of a twin yeah Um, but yeah we just had completely different interests and um, yeah I think that was always something that was we were conscious of like why aren't I better in this area why why aren't I able to you know kind of it's
1: interesting there's a focus on what you're lacking not what you are
0: yeah, I don't, I don't know why that is, but I do think that twins experience it quite a lot. It's just always this constant comparison.
1: Yeah. 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 Why? Because I guess I'm 23 months younger than my big brother. Yeah. So, yeah, there was absolutely comparison, but then it was like, well,
0: you're, it's obviously, just that you're obviously different yeah. humans. Yeah. yeah. But
1: what do people expect you to be? Because you're not identical. People, not identical. Yeah, people expect you to be the same interest, same everything.
0: Well, I guess, you know, um, at different times it would come out. You know, so when we're talking about school, it'd be like, well, you're twins, you know, like your, your sister is so, so good at maths, you know, maybe if you study a bit harder. So it wasn't always, um, kind of overlapped. Yeah. So I think as we got older, we started to, yeah, definitely get different friend groups because I think, um, we were so different. And I think for most of our life, we probably tried to stay in the same circles and there was always that little bit of conflict or, you know, it just wasn't quite gelling yeah. And then we just worked it out when we got older and just went,
1: <laughs> so, okay. got my so friends,
0: you have yours. <laughs> how much
1: of your current career in the fashion industry is due to the fact that you probably had to share clothes?
0: No, you know what? <laughs> and Probably none. So yeah. I was just, you know, from a very young age, I loved fashion and I was just always drawn to it. And so the probably the more apt question is how much of my sister's wardrobe was because I loved fashion so much. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was never pressured to share it. I just had so much. There was always a bit left over and my sisters always benefited from it. Okay. So, um But my, my passion for clothing and stuff was just standalone, absolutely there. I don't know why. Well, I but...
1: remember the first time I stood on stage and I remember the first time that I got that reaction from the audience went, oh. Oh, that's it. What was the moment? Was it when you saw a particular artist? Was it a particular photograph?
0: Um, particular moment that I thought...
1: Oh, this is it. This is the... I I love what clothes do for someone. I love what clothes do for me. I love the way that person wears that.
0: Yeah. You know... I know that as a teenager I was completely unaware of it because we used to have casual Fridays every now and then and one day a boy came up and asked me, I went to a co-ed school and he said, Julie, why do you wear the same t-shirt every single casual Friday? And I didn't realise it because I just didn't think about clothing and I looked down and I was wearing this Sydney t-shirt and it happened to be one of my favourite t-shirts. My sister was living in Sydney and she sent it to me and I thought, oh my gosh, people care about what I wear. And so at that stage, I must have been like 12, you know, like in my teens, most girls were probably thinking about clothing at that, at that stage. And um, I loved quality, but I didn't really think about how I was perceived. So that was definitely a moment where I went, wow, people perceive you in certain ways depending on what you wear. Um, and then I, I guess, took a bit more of an interest in what I shopped for and what I wore. And What was the boy's name? Sam McMillan, you know, Sam on TV. He's Sam Mack? Sam Mack. We went to school. We're in the same year. S- <laughs> so
1: all this is thanks to Sam Mack?
0: Sam Mack raised my awareness in, <laughs> my self-awareness in fashion.
1: <laughs> so he'd be thrilled with his equity share then, I'm sure. Yes,
0: yes. We definitely <laughs> had to give him some credit. <laughs> oh my goodness me. And that was like literally, it must have been year, you know, six or seven or whatever it is at school. And I went like, wow, I need to care about what I wear. Um, and I had always, whenever I'd shopped for things before, all I thought about was, like, quality. I didn't really think about it from a, you know, hate perceived. But from yeah. that, that stage on, I was like, right, I need to care about what I wear and see myself as other people see me. Um, and then I just continued to gravitate, gravitate to, like, beautiful things. And mm-hmm. um, you definitely saw a difference in how yeah. people reacted to you. Oh, yeah. So just started to spend more time and... Focus on it a bit more.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Did you like hanging out down the malls balls did you go, Okay, yes, yes, <laughs> no, yes, yes, yes.
0: Um, to what people are wearing or yeah, to the stores? Yeah. To what, um
1: Just yeah. for people are listening. The, the Malls <laughs> Balls is the center of uh, Rundle Mall in Adelaide. They're these two giant steel balls probably be like ten feet wide. They just yeah. sit on top of each other. Yeah. And that's where everybody meets.
0: Yeah. The is. Malls balls. Yeah. Because the Iconic. time before
1: mobile phones, that's what well, was meet you at the mall.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But get it's, lost. there's a lot of
1: people hanging around there. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about Rundle Mall in Adelaide is that, unlike many other malls, I think it's just the size of the population of Adelaide. Kind of each socioeconomic and cultural class of it, the city is visible. Yeah. In one space. Yeah. It's not like, if, for example, in Sydney, where you have to drive 30k's west to see a different socioeconomic area. Yeah, So you true. would have been able to see a lot of different people, yeah. what they're wearing. Yeah,
0: definitely. No, it does, does make for good people watching. Yeah. Um, though I just pretty much gravitated straight to the stores. Uh-huh. Away from the people watching, that's okay for a few minutes, but really it's all about what's, what's in store. And um, I just somehow have this knack gravitating to the most expensive stuff. Don't don't ask me how. Just have a knack from it from yeah. the, from ever since I was small and yeah. we'd have pocket money and mum would take me to the store and say, okay, Julie, you know, what do you want? And would be like, oh, I want this jumper. And uh, she'd be like, can't, we can't afford it. Um, and I'd say, that's okay. I'll wait until we can. Like I wasn't like, okay, great, I'll have this instead or I'll have five of these or, you know, like I, if I loved something, I really was happy to wait for it and I'd save up for it. But I was very, very particular about the stuff that I liked. Wow. So... Not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's an oh, it expensive like it's
1: thing. A, it sounds like it's a great thing because you were prepared to forego uh, immediate satisfaction for the value of working towards something. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was always, yeah, big on saving when I was a kid, that's for sure. Wow, I
1: had yeah.
0: no idea about that shit. Well, that's that's where, you know, I had a twin chalk and cheese and that definitely wasn't the case. There was a lot of balance in our house. Yeah,
1: wow. So at what point did you realise that this was the sort of thing that you wanted to wanted to do? Was it a part of what you chose to do at university or like that?
0: No. So somehow I thought I'd, I'd be in business um, and then I actually started, a, well actually I thought I'd be in business in my last couple of years in high school. I was doing pretty good at um, maths and science and I actually loved those subjects and I just did them not knowing what I wanted to do but you know just you gravitate to the subjects you're good at. And my maths teacher said, Julie you have to um, become a, a maths teacher. So there's a real shortage of women in, in maths and, you know, you would get – you'd definitely have a job. You'd have so much job security because they're looking for diversity. And I thought, oh, I don't really know what I want to do. But I didn't ever see myself being a maths teacher. But somehow I decided to do a bit more in maths and science. So I, my first degree was in a science degree. Um, and I think that was just a bit of her influence. And I actually do love those subjects, but I just couldn't see myself in a career. So I did come back to my business kind of ways. Mm. Um, And then.
1: Was this all still in South Australia? This
0: is all in South Australia, yeah. So, Adelaide Uni for my science degree, and then I changed to the University of South Australia for my business degree, and I majored in marketing. Um, And then I started working for a startup a few years later in London. So, I I was working remotely. I, I just emailed them some suggestions on their site, I was just using it as a consumer. And I was like, I love your site. Like, I mean, when I like something, it's like I'm either a zero or a 110. Mm. You know, I'm like, I love your site. It's the best thing I've ever come across. Um, here are some suggestions. And I would love to see you implement them because just as a consumer, I'd, I think it would make the experience What site was it? Um, it's called Mubi, M-U-B-I, and it's like a Netflix for hipsters. So it's streaming film, but it's like foreign film, cult film, indie, it's art house, so cool, so cool. And they... Implemented those suggestions and they became some of their best used features. They offered me a job, so I ended up working for them for a couple of years. Were you in London already? No, but after a year, I ended up moving there. Um, so, so I you worked went remotely. Over with a job yeah, lined up. Yeah, yeah. So I worked for wow. them for about a year. There's barely out of any
1: Australian goes over there with a job <laughs> lined
0: up. Yeah, I guess that's rare. <laughs> they land with the
1: CV yeah, over and a CV there and,
0: and a prayer, right? Yeah,
1: pretty much. <laughs> and a ticking working holiday visa that's yeah. about to run out.
0: Yeah. So I started working with a startup, and that's when I had the startup bug. You know, I yeah. loved it, and I probably would have stayed there forever. So I guess my business degree came in handy. Um, but that's like when I kind of moved from a business interest into startup. And at that stage, I'd definitely become a shopaholic. I'd been, you know, like loving fashion for years and years and years. I was just onto things. Um, yeah, you know, to be on Europe's
1: doorstep. I mean, like, was it the, was it the situation where you're just eating two-minute noodles because, you'd, you know... <laughs>
0: big pa- because big parcels of, you yeah. know, kind of fabulous fashion was arriving, yeah. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and then while I was uh, at this amazing, fabulous startup, I was going to Bikram Yoga every day, so five days a week. Um, loved it. Had my life set: going to Bikram yoga in the morning, going to my dream job in London. You know, things are really great. Um, but I started to realize that I just couldn't find cool yoga gear, so it was really out of this. Um, cool. You know, Cool yoga gear.
1: It's thirty-nine degrees in there.
0: Yeah, I know, but you know what? Especially after you start to get really oh, nice
1: to look at. Okay.
0: Nice to look at, yeah. Oh, I thought you meant
1: cool, as in like. <laughs> oh there's no. no, no, cool no. In well, you that know,
0: room. that's what you you want to stay cooler though. Some fabrics actually do keep you cooler, so that's really? very important in Bikram. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. So, so
1: you're in cool Bikram Cool and cool. You're like <laughs> and you're looking around the room and going, I'm in like the fashion capital of the world yep. in Europe at least, and the Dagtown.
0: Well, it wasn't so much, you know, kind of what I what other people were wearing because I'm, you know, pretty pretty um, you know okay with whatever anyone wants to wear but it was more about over time I felt really great about the results I was seeing and now I wanted to reward myself and okay you know you've been going five days a week for the last you know four weeks go out and buy something fabulous and then I went out and I just couldn't find anything it was very plain very same same
1: very functional
0: very functional yeah, that's it, yeah. and I just couldn't believe that I thought what well, if I want to buy something a little bit fancy as lots of women love to do in you know their everyday shopping Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Why shouldn't I be able to? So it just became a bit of a light bulb moment. Like I can't believe there's not more variety. I can't believe that there's not a better place to shop for it too because I had to go to sports stores. Sports stores are really like discounty and warehousey and – um, not pleasant shopping experiences. Um, and the women's stuff was always like in a corner or upstairs, you know, kind mm. of like in the worst, you know, sort of section. Um, and it was like all male attendance. So I was just like, I can't believe it's not a better experience.
1: Mm.
0: So that's how the idea was born in a Bikram yoga class, really.
1: Between yeah. which pose and which pose?
0: In, in savasana for sure. It, it literally, when I had the idea, like, honestly, I can remember it. Hello. I Literally, Hello. remember the idea, like having it, and it was just like this—you know—light bulb moment. I think I might have felt a bit like I was levitating.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like, oh my god, this is definitely going to work. I just had complete and instant faith, yeah. not only in the idea, but somehow the craziness that I thought that I could do it. I had no experience in any of this. I had no experience in starting my own online store, no experience in buying fashion, except for as a consumer. Uh, but somehow I just saw into the future, thought, I'm, yeah, I'm going to do this.
1: Wow. So what was the first thing you did?
0: Um, first thing I did was because buy Because everyone's, everyone's got an idea. Everyone's yeah. got an
1: idea. Everyone's like, oh, my yeah. God, I'm going to – like, l- lately I'm about edible insects. I don't know. About <laughs> when I'm about edible insects. I'm like, I'm going to create a mechanised cricket farm. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Love it. I have no idea how to do it. <laughs> yeah. And then I have a cup of tea and yeah. watch Game of Thrones and I forget about it. Yeah. But – so a lot of people have ideas. Yes. But what – Got you from idea to, okay, I'm going to pull Um, the trigger.
0: A few things. So I went and bought some magazines, some like, you know, women's health and women's fitness type magazines. And I literally just started cutting out all these amazing, beautiful images of cool, you know, girls in the editorial shoots. And I created a big mood board on my wall of uh, like a collage of cool active wear. And I was like, there's some really cool stuff out there because this magazine found it. How come I can't shop like this? Um, Then I did a bit of research So I looked at how big the market was, and I just looked at brands that were already public. You can get their information very easily. So looking at Nike and Adidas and Lululemon was a really standout one for me. So Lululemon at that stage was turning over a billion dollars, one B, and they were growing at 40% a year. Now, 40% is phenomenal growth for any company, but on a billion, that's huge. Um, and so I thought, wow, mm. you know, Lululemon was really well known for a high price point. So there was a lot of women who were happy to spend over $100. Yeah. That's a lot of women. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, you know, there was definitely this voracious demand for it. So um, that kind of gave me some confidence that, you know what, I'm not the only woman who wants to spend a lot on fancy yoga wear. Um, you know, so I kind of looked into some, you know, some of the research side of things, size mm. of the market, competition, um, etc., and then I really thought, yeah, things stack up. Like this is really, yeah. this is doable. Um, then I, of course, called my family and friends in um, Australia and kind of shared my thoughts. Um, and then I just registered a domain name, searched for the best name I could, run it past a few people to get, get a bit of, you know, feedback on which one, which name was It's So Style Runner, the first one? Style Runner was, yeah, the one that wow. uh, we all liked the most. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah.
1: Good for you. Yeah. Rebranding sucks. Yes. Trust me. Definitely, I can um, imagine. So you register this, this domain name. They're not cheap the sometimes. Did you have to Sorry. throw some, get some cash together to do
0: that? This one was a bit of a premium one. So, yeah. So, you know, you could get like lots of names for like $9.95, but this one was a premium domain name. Um, just my luck. Just the way I gravitate to really expensive things in the <laughs> store. I just have to gravitate to a really expensive yeah. domain name. But I think it was worth it. I think it's, you know, really important to have a strong brand. So uh, this domain name cost us around $2,800. Yeah. um, But I thought it was worth the splurge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't have that kind of cash lying around. So Mm. that's saving for the jumper, you see? Yeah. Yeah. Taught you how to do it. That's right. There you have it. (laughs) There you have it. So it's not something you could have done from London?
0: Uh, It probably is, but I wanted to be back in Australia where I had my family and I had friends and support. You know, I think that, when you're getting a new business off the ground, um, the more people you have in your network that can help and support you, the better. So, you know, I knew people in magazines here. Um, you know, I just just felt like I could, you know, find my way through How did you right know those people. people in
1: magazines? How did that come about?
0: Yeah, I mean, I used to work at ACP back in the day when I first moved uh, to Sydney. I was selling ad space. 54 Park Street? Uh, no, it was here in, on O'Ready Street. So oh, right, no, right. Not ACP, sorry. It was... Um,
1: Pacific the other one, yeah, Pacific Max. Pacific Mag's, right. So and all those. Okay, so so you found a way to kind of be around this anyway uh, in those big <laughs> magazine houses. I mean, yeah. we've all seen Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> uh, how much of that film was kind of close to what you experienced, as far as you know the the fascism around clothing?
0: <laughs> There's definitely. It was pretty. Um, yeah, it was a pretty intimidating environment. So I didn't see any like, you know, major tantrums or things like that, but there was definitely kind of like pecking orders and, you know, don't speak until you're spoken to kind of feeling around the place. Mm. Um, but there were also moments of really exciting privilege where, you know, you would kind of do something really well and you'd be called into the editor's office and they'd be talking to you like you were part of their, you know, sort of yeah. much longer established team. So yeah. that was really exciting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a pretty fun place to work. Yeah, but for it's a not the of kind of years. place where you
1: can just go, oh, I'm just going to wear jeans and a t shirt today. Uh,
0: yeah, no, there was definitely lots of effort in, in what you wore, that's for sure. <laughs> Remember
1: that blog? What was it called? Minimum Six Inch Heels? Was that it? Oh, never it. There was heard a blog it. from Sounds inside bad. 54 Park Street, yeah. which is the uh, ACP building. And it was like the Goldman Sachs elevator blog. It was someone inside the building just talking about girls who had cut the labels out of their clothes so no one could see it, it was from Target and you know, all, but, that, all that kind of stuff because it. there was so much. Um, vitriol, if you were wearing something that wasn't yeah. some sort of big brand name. Yeah. And
0: Sounds like they should turn that into a, like a series. Yeah. I'd watch it.
1: I think that was Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> I <think it> was, <laughs> I think
0: we need more of that though. But we, so. need, we need like a whole, you know, sort mm-hmm. of series to be able to binge on, on that, that kind of.
1: But it'd have to be in this environment because magazines are dying. Yeah. It'd have to be in a. You know,
0: but the problem is then this is totally different. Like with this, yes, people are now moving to digital, but I think this culture is very different. Yeah. Um, And I think it's entertaining in another sense. Like it's, you know, it's inspiring and it's collaborative, but it's certainly not as dramatic as the old magazine, you know, offices were.
1: Who was the – so you said when do you have to go? When do you have to leave? It's quarter past three. Oh, uh, uh, well, 3.30ish, yeah. Okay, I've got you 15 more minutes. Okay, cool. So you come to this – uh, you've, got, you've got this website and you've had extraordinary goods so quickly. Yeah. You've had extraordinary goods so, so, so very quickly. Um, but you're in this space that seems to be, is it chicken and egg scenario? Because this space is just growing so fast. What happened?
0: Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely growing really quickly. So when we launched... Um, and I say we like it was twenty of us. It was you know like when my sister and our first employee launched. So there was three people that launched a business three and a half years ago. Um, there was no one doing this at all. So it was completely um, underserviced. You know people just weren't thinking about delivering a better experience or you know kind of bringing cooler product into this category. Um, and we were lucky to get in early and make, you know, establish relationships with all the big brands, et cetera. So we really definitely have a big, you know, head start. We've got the big brands on board, like Nike's, and the Adidas and Puma and Reeboks. Um, and a lot of new competitors coming up, but I think they'll find it very hard to kind of break into that next level. Um, you know, big brands are really selective with how many people they'll partner with. Um, so I think what you'll end up seeing is there'll be a few kind of style runners which have a lot of the big brands on and are servicing customers in a big sports store kind of way, lots of range, um, you know, and the best brands. And then probably lots of smaller stores come on, but they may not make it. They may, you know, only survive a couple of mm. years because to, you know, really get, uh, you know, to sustainable point, you've kind of really got to break through that sort of ceiling of, small uh, emerging brands you've got to have a few bread and butter items and I think that's going to be tough without the bigger brands
1: but you you're not only just a place where people go to get active where get to kind of cool looking things that they can work out in yeah you're so much more than that your brand is is people are loyal to your brand and when it comes to things like uh, body image and um, healthy body um, the relationship with yeah. with your body, no matter what shape you're in, do you feel a responsibility oh, when you're communicating to your clients, to your customer base around mm, we can't, you know, we have to be kind of careful about, yeah,
0: definitely. you know,
1: what value we put on super fit, toned versus yeah. just go out there and have a go.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So you know, one of the things that we love to do is regram a lot of our um, customers. So, you know, I think it's really um, one of the best things that I've seen happen in the last few years is this kind of sharing of the normal, everyday, you know, customer and person. Um, It's no longer just this unachievable kind of model. Um, One of the other things that we're really careful about too is choosing models that are actually, like, fit and healthy. Um, When we first started, it was so difficult to find a model who wasn't absolutely stick-thin. We were just, we can't use her, we can't use her. And we probably found, like, one that we could use and now over time there's actually dozens of models that we can choose who have kind of got this whole fitzbo healthy vibe going on which is amazing and i think it's only going to continue like healthy is the new kind of thin um, so that's been a really great change in the industry but we're really conscious of that you know we think um, all of us here in the office we love working out but we're also balanced we're real people you know we don't work out every single day and sometimes when it's a birthday or you know whatever we eat cake um and we want people that are our customers that are looking to us to feel that that's okay you know mm. it's we generally espouse a very balanced life. Um, it's all about, you know, healthy on the inside and healthy, you know, mentally as well, you know, sort of being okay with um, not reaching perfection, being okay with, um, you know, sort of, um, you know, balanced life. And I think that the vibe that comes from our Instagram is that it's healthy, it's fun, it's friendly, it's garious. Um, it's not about some sort of, you know, um, idyllic perfection that, you know, used to be the way marketing was done years and years ago with, mm. you know, sort of supermodels.
1: You've had extraordinary amounts of success in a, in, a, in a short period of time because you've really hit the nail on the head. Your, your shavas in the moment was perfectly right. Have there been people in your life that uh, you've lost touch with over the success? That tall poppy thing in Australia can be a bit harsh sometimes.
0: Um, yeah, I, I don't think really I've... Um, lost touch with people, I think I'm probably, I'm definitely incredibly busy and I maybe don't catch up with people as much as I used to, but when I do reach out to people, I feel like I'm lucky enough to have friends that are, mm. um, you know, that mindset that it's it's like you saw them yesterday. You know, you mm. just pick up exactly where you took off. Yeah. I think right before I started Style Runner, there was a time actually, and it's kind of almost that kind of, uh, something that you do or it's kind of like letting go of some of your high school friends, if you will, there was definitely a time when I kind of woke up to myself and thought some of my friends just really aren't that genuine. (laughs) I don't really feel good around them all the time. not quite sure about, you know, their kind of deeper, Mm. um, you know, kind of intentions and feelings. And and so I actually let go of, you know, some friends that just coincidentally happened before I started Style Runner. And you know what? It was the best thing. Now I really just surround myself with people who are really like true, beautiful, authentic beings Mm. And so I don't have this sort of um, feeling of, you know, they they might think that I'm no longer, you know, kind of, um, yeah, it's no longer fine to catch up because I'm too busy or anything. They're absolutely beautiful human beings that I have in my life. And, you know, when we do catch up, it's just back to, yeah, the way it always has been.
1: Uh, You said that um, done is better than perfect. Yes. Take me through that idea.
0: Well, I have been known to be a bit of a perfectionist and sometimes it still holds me up a little bit.
1: That can stop you from starting.
0: Yeah, it can stop you from starting. And that was something that I had to learn through the process because um, I was lucky that I love to read. And so I was lucky that I did a lot of reading around the lean startup approach. And so I could just As kind Eric of... Eric Greaves book. Yeah, 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 great book. And there's lots of, along that sort of line of thinking now. And what I love about it is it basically said says you know if you're not embarrassed of your first version of your product you launch too late you need to just get it out there learn from what the customers like and don't like like don't do you know a year of research and creating something that you think is perfect and get it out and something doesn't work or you've not hit the mark um so i kind of have read this whole school of thought which actually just don't even try to be perfect in actual fact if you if you get to perfect before you launch you failed um and that really helped me kind of be okay with putting something out there that was not where I thought was, you know, my standards. Um, but I thought it was great advice. Um, and I do think that perfectionism can hold back rapid progress. And I think in a startup world, I think you do need to make rapid progress. Um, and so I've just learnt to be comfortable with things not being at the highest standard but knowing that you'll continue to improve them along, along the way.
1: Do you feel good about the state of the startup scene in Australia?
0: I think it's definitely getting better. Um, I think what they're doing in Victoria is amazing. They've really got—I think it's called um, Startup Vic. They've got some great people championing the startup space there, and I think the tech Sydney scene is starting to try and catch up. Um, so there's lots of momentum, and I think that in a year or two we're going to have some phenomenal resources and um, you know access to politicians, you know, which is really starting to emerge. Um, with White Roy, the Assistant Minister for Innovation. Um, so I think it's really t- starting to take shape. It's definitely come a long way since when I first started. Um, and so I'm really excited about what the young entrepreneurs of today have access to. But I think hopefully in the next two to three years, Sydney can re- kind of regain its rank or, you know, sort of um, c- climb the ladder of one of the best startup places in the world to start a business.
1: Yeah, I was living in... Uh in Venice Beach, California, and it was all very, very exciting. And I thought, well, hang on, I could really be doing this in Sydney. Yeah. It's <laughs> much nicer. Oh, well, I think <laughs> it's Sydney... It's a lot of access capital here, though. That's the only thing.
0: Yes, I know. And unfortunately, what you're ha- you know, what you're seeing is things like Atlassian having to go and raise, you know, a billion dollars or whatever it was that they IPO'd for, um, you know, internationally. I mean, I guess... They are bringing a lot of that back to Australia, but it does mean that they've had to shift a lot of their, you know, sort of, um, a lot of companies are having to shift mm. and create HQs outside of Australia. If you, want, if you want international capital, you almost definitely have to start an office wherever those investors are, whether it's Silicon Valley or whether it's London, yeah. um, because we can't access great capital here. Yeah.
1: And yeah. what about, uh, you, you started this by yourself, but surely there was some point where no book could help you where you had to ask someone who'd been here before. What about mentors?
0: Um, I've had lots of informal mentors along the way, but this year I'm really starting to kind of put together a board of of advisory. Um, So I'm really lucky. I guess I just always gravitate to, you know, people who are in similar fields. So when I was looking at capital raising, I just happened to learn that my neighbour upstairs, so there's six apartments in our building, a very small apartment building that I live in, and... My neighbour upstairs was like the head of digital e-commerce um, for J.P. Morgan.
1: That helps. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. No, no, we're in an office. It's okay. All make right. noise, it's fine.
0: Like, ah, you're ruining the – We're in the middle of an office. It's you've fine. Got, you've got like magic um, post-production,
1: right? No, because I. But the idea of the show is that people – it's as if they're sitting in that chair right <laughs> there. Great. I want right. people to think like they're just sitting This is pretty nights.
0: special. They're getting to hear what it sounds like at Star on HQ.
1: Yeah. Well, this is, this is it. You know, this is what it's always been. I mean, when we do it at my house, people play with the dog, the kid comes home, you know, we have a chat.
0: love it. It's very yeah. refreshing. Well, it's good. It's not what I'm used to. <laughs> well,
1: authenticity is super important to me, you see, Julie, and uh, the time for being an authentic has passed long, long yeah. ago. And so I'm just only really about trying to have conversations that are, are quite, you know, I guess meaningful and not exactly – designed to elicit some sort of response just the actual real stuff i'm I'm interested in like for example things haven't always been rosy i'm sure what's it like what's it like when you have to do like ceo things like fire people
0: yeah yeah we have had to and i think it's actually a really important part because you know part of being a ceo means you have to look after your team you know that's really something that we need to um, like think about and if someone comes on board and they're not as passionate as the rest of the team or they're not pulling their weight, it's really unfair to the rest of the people who are um, yeah so tough stuff happens um, but I think if you remember who you I think if you remember who you're here for and that's both the customers and the team um, yeah you've just got to make those tough calls yeah. you kind of remove yourself from it almost it just has to be done
1: Have you created, when you look back at the places you worked at, whether it be the startup in the UK or when you looked at Pacific, have you created the kind of workplace that you wished you could have been in?
0: Um, it's not quite there yet, but uh, hopefully we'll do a few new renovations for this place. I want to at least... Well, I guess what about,
1: what about culturally as well? Oh,
0: culturally. Um, but I think it all comes part of it. What the office looks like and feels like is part of it as well. But I think I love the culture here at Style Runner. Um, and it's come with a lot of trial and error over time. It wasn't like day one we opened, we knew exactly what sort of culture we wanted to create. It took, you know, kind of reflecting and kind of going, hey, people are not really humming. They're not really loving it. Like, what could we do? um and just trying new things all the time and I think we've always put a lot of attention and focus on on the culture here and it's at a place where it's really great I think probably the last year has been my favorite and I hope that it just continues to get better but yeah it's a very good feeling here
1: my uh my soon-to-be stepdaughter that I was texting before yeah uh she's just turned 12 yeah she'll probably enter the workforce in about eight years what are your thoughts when you think about that? what would you what would you say to a kid who's looking in that direction?
0: Um I think it's a really exciting time for women in the in the workforce. So I'm really excited for her because I think in eight years, all of us are going to be doing a lot of campaigning and championing of you know sort of equality. Um so hopefully by the time she's in the workforce, we'll have equal pay and and things like that. Um, there'll be, a greater number of women in leadership who can, you know, sort of be her, um, hopefully sort of, you know, mentors and and lead like pave the way for her. So I'm very excited for that. Um, and I think, you know, be, be bold, be brave, be fearless, step up. Um, don't let the boys intimidate you <laughs> and you know, do what you're most passionate about.
1: Yeah. Any particular, any particular thing to focus on? I mean, I've had all kinds of people tell me, it's like, just get the kid to code.
0: You know. <laughs> Look, I I also really believe in like the, you know, STEM subjects. So, you know, science, technology, engineering, maths. Um, but I, I love those personally. So maybe I'm a little bit biased. Um, I think you absolutely have to focus on what you're passionate about. So if she's sporty or creative and wants to go after that, then I say do that. If she is open-minded and is thinking about what career paths are going to be potentially the most, you know, sort of um, rewarding in sense of opportunity and um, remuneration and that sort of thing, I think then these areas could be really, really exciting. I think there definitely is a heaps of opportunity in there.
1: Yeah. Because it, I, I, on one hand I'm like you're probably the last generation of kids that live need to learn how to drive. Yeah. And there's probably going to be no manual, you know, factory yeah. jobs left. Yeah. I mean even your warehouse downstairs will be all robots yeah. by the next, end of next year. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think about what kind of what kind of world is she going to get up in. So what can – because this is, this is the other thing, you know, I think about the world that she's growing up into. What can – I mean, I'm, I'm 42, so, you know, besides voting, there's not much I can do. But what what can – because equal pay, I don't even know why it's still an issue. But what can I do about it? What can, what can men do about it?
0: I think, um, actually, that's one of the best parts. I think that, you know, that women are often being really – vocal about it these days but I think it takes men to ask that question and to say I want to be part of the solution to really help us achieve that yeah. um, and I think you know being conscious of the I think, subconscious biases that people have because we do even I, be, I believe both men and women have these um, subconscious biases because of what we've observed over the last you know 50 years um, and we need to challenge those and make sure we're really questioning if we're um you know the best candidate is getting the role um look it's a should there be um quotas for how many women should be you know i think that's up to you know individual corporations the fact that some people are is great um but i think really i believe in um merit and i think that sh- you know i believe that there are enough women that will you know sort of bring those numbers up even if people aren't hiring on quotas but are just hiring you know being fair um, yeah. by removing the bias but and bring, I think
1: bringing up some cautious, subconscious biases maybe yeah. the, like, this might be the first podcast of mine people have listened to they would have known because I talk about this stuff a lot what are some subconscious biases that, that people might be holding that they might not be aware of
0: um, again kind of like reflecting on what we've seen and heard for the last 50 years looking at things like mad men etc I think that subconsciously we think men are probably better managers like to challenge that. <laughs> um, you know, we probably think women make better secretaries. Um, we think that um, men may maybe make better CEOs. So it's really those sorts of stereotypes that we've seen reinforced time and time again that we need to make sure don't subconsciously, you know, kind of influence us when we're looking at two candidates and one's male and one's female yeah. and they have similar experiences. Um, in actual fact, you know just being open to gender diversity even if it's you have two really similar um, candidates the fact that more diversity is better and that you're probably underrepresented in the female side mm. um, it could actually be a better decision just to bring in more gender diversity and over time as that gender diversity reaches you know sort of equality there'll be that benefit in itself yeah. as well I mean, we have too many women here, and I'm actually, you know, a big fan of diversity, and so I'm really looking to, you know, sort of bring a few more males into the team. Yeah. Um, so I think diversity is one thing that will hopefully help level things out as well.
1: I often wonder if a LinkedIn could offer the, uh, the orchestral screen test. Uh, do you Have you heard about this? The, um, I can't remember which orchestra. I think it's the Berlin Orchestra. They say there's 80 people in the orchestra. There were seven women. And I'm like, yeah. this is bullshit. Yeah. So they did the auditions for the next year behind a screen. Yes. No one was allowed to wear shoes, so they couldn't tell by the gate. And they hired them solely on how they could play their instrument. Amazing. It skyrocketed how many women were in the orchestra. Uh, Orchestra. Amazing.
0: Totally. I mean, because, that is a perfect example yeah. of what was clearly a gender bias. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. Love Fascinating. it. Fascinating. I could talk to you all afternoon, but you're a very busy woman and um, <laughs> I need 125th of a second more of your time to take sure. a photograph. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much. This has been great. Thank
0: you so much. It's been fabulous. Wish so. I could chat all afternoon too. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I didn't have an SD card. We were chatting for only 15 <laughs> minutes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <music> That was Julie Stevania. You can find her on Twitter at J-U-L-I-E-S-T-E-V-A-N-J-A. And you can also please go and check out her website, stylerunner.com. They have the most fabulous gear if you enjoy the working out and the sweating and the running around in the active wear. Thank you so much again to everybody that supported the show on Patreon. Patreon.com Osher, O-S-H-E-R. Uh, the link is in my Instagram and Twitter bios. If you need anything through the week, send Osher email at gmail.com. I am off to take the dog for a walk and have breakfast with my beloved uh, before we go back and pick up the kid who's been visiting her dad for the weekend and I can't wait to see her again all right i love you guys thank you so much for listening have a good week in the meantime sleep well and dream of beautiful beautiful things